Hi there. Welcome to semester six, episode five of the IBY's Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. On this season of Just Admit It, we're breaking down the college admissions rubric and highlighting a few top colleges. I'm Tasha, your host for this season. I'm an admissions counselor at Ivy Wise, a former international admission officer at USC, and a former assistant director of international admissions at Boston University. My guest is Robin, an Ivy Wise premier counselor and former senior assistant director of admissions at Georgetown University, as well as former admissions counselor at Vanderbilt University. She has also worked as a director of college counseling and as an English teacher at several secondary schools. Thank you so much for coming on, Robin. Hi, Tasha. Thanks for having me. Of course. So today we're going to be getting into what seems like a pretty simple question. How important are transcripts and course rigor? So though we won't be able to answer this question definitively, we are going to kind of break it down. We'll be able to provide some important context and go through some examples of when transcript and course rigor make all the difference and when maybe they might go into consideration with some of the other factors um, a little bit more evenly. So we're going to just jump in. But again, this is within the framework of our season this semester, which is really digging into the college admissions rubric. So to start, let's make sure we're on the same page. Robin, can you run us through that the role that transcripts and course rigor play within the college admissions rubric? Absolutely, absolutely. Essentially, the student's transcript provides an academic snapshot of both their grades and the courses that that student has chosen to take or has been eligible to take throughout high school. It's the most important piece of information in a student's application. It is the go-to document when admissions officers start reviewing a file because It shows an admissions officer not only how successful a student has been in their classes based on grades earned, but also how rigorous the student's curriculum is based on the courses that have been made available at that school for the student to take. Colleges want to make sure that they are admitting students who want to be challenged academically, who have intellectual curiosity, and will be successful in the rigorous academic environment at that university. So the evaluation of a student's high school transcript is really sort of the starting piece in terms of the the overall college admissions rubric itself. Great. Thank you, Robin. And and I feel like I might have asked this first, but what, what even is the college admissions rubric for those who might just be getting started on their journey of learning about the American college application system and process? Yeah. So in, in, General, the the rubric or a rubric is is a guide. And in the college admissions application review process, the rubric refers to the way in which admissions officers review applications, the different components that they look look at. And the rubric can vary um, certainly from university to university, but generally speaking, college admissions officers, the rubric that they use evaluates the following things. So GPA and course rigor, which I just mentioned, that's what's reflected on a student's transcript. Uh, Standardized test scores, if those are being submitted or or if the school um, is test blind, then they wouldn't be. So potentially uh, standardized testing, extracurricular activities, recommendation letters, uh, the strength of a student's high school, 
the essays and then demonstrated interest if that's something that the university considers. So every every school is different. There's going to be nuance involved. And when I say school, I mean college or university. But a common practice in the review of an application is for each of those rubric items that I mentioned to be awarded a score. So I listed eight different things there. And let's say that a three is the highest score an applicant can get for each of those eight categories. So the highest score the applicant might receive from an admissions officer is a 24. But it's still not as simple as just having the highest rubric score um, or scoring at a particular rubric threshold. The admissions officers have to consider um, institutional priorities at their school when they're reviewing um, an application. And those institutional priorities can vary from one admission cycle to the next. And when I say institutional priorities, an example might be perhaps in one admission cycle, the admissions office has been tasked with um, admitting more students from, from rural, rural areas or admitting more students who indicate they want to study anthropology. So there's all these other components that come into play as well. But in terms of the general rubric, those are the key pieces that might make up a school's rubric. Amazing. Thanks so much for breaking that down, Robin. And as you said, as you said, every school is different, right? And I think that's a really, really important reminder for students throughout every step of the process. As as we began this conversation, I did say that there won't be a definitive answer to this question because it does always depend on so many different factors. And part of putting together the puzzle of, of a student and of the student's application is through what we call the holistic review process. So Robin, how do grades play a role specifically in the holistic review? And of course, what is holistic review? Yeah, it's a term that you certainly hear a lot, um, especially um, if you are visiting colleges, et cetera. Um, That term is used quite frequently, the holistic review. So Essentially, what that means is it's just referring to the fact that admissions officers, admissions officers review the entirety of a student's application. So they're considering the hard factors. So those would be the quantitative factors like the GPA, like the um, standardized test scores if those are being submitted. Um, And I would also say the course rigor reflected on the transcript as part of the uh, hard factor um, review as well. But then there's also those soft factors or more qualitative factors, which would include extracurricular involvement, um, recommendation letters, essays, demonstrated interest, interviews, if, if those are offered. So the rubric that I just described, those eight items, those eight items allow for a, a holistic review of, of an applicant. And again, as you've pointed out, I think it isn't, you know, so important that we remind people that, you know, those eight factors we mentioned, not every school might use all eight of those. Not every school might score applicants using a rubric, but in general, there is going to be some kind of guideline or rubric that informs the way that they read the application. So in terms of that holistic review, While the whole applicant is being reviewed in terms of their academic and personal qualities, right, the hard and soft factors, first and foremost, the transcript is a key document because it captures the grades that the student has earned throughout high school. And it shows whether or not that student has opted for an academically challenging curriculum 
based on the courses made available at the student's high school. And as mentioned previously, colleges, first and foremost, want to make sure that they are admitting students whom they feel are demonstrating the ability to be successful in a college academic environment. All right. So now that we've really established what holistic review is and how what's on your transcript plays a very important role in that holistic review process, what should students then be thinking about when they're considering course selection? I think first and foremost, students really need to ask themselves if they are opting to take the more challenging courses at their high school. They really need to reflect on that. And the sooner students can start thinking about course selection, the better. In fact, I often suggest to students, especially younger students who are just beginning um, ninth grade, to look at the course catalog their school has available and look at the highest level classes in each of the five core academic subject areas, English, math, science, social sciences, history, and what did I forget? World languages. Looking at what those highest level courses are and then doing backward planning, basically going back and looking at, okay, what, what do I need to take in order to get there? Because the reality of selective college admissions, I've both worked at selective institutions. The reality is that those schools expect to see that students are taking those more challenging courses um, throughout their, their high school experience. And of course, yes, there will be nuance within all that. And we might get into some of that, but essentially Knowing then that colleges want to see rigor, meaning they want to see the highest level classes captured on that student's transcript because the student has taken those classes, those rigorous classes, they might vary in terms of what is actually available at the student's school. Advanced placement classes, APs, that's fairly common. Some schools have what they call advanced topics, AT. There's also the IB program. Some schools have honors classes as the highest level. Some schools have the highest level classes designated as seminars. So there's a lot of variation in terms of the actual um, terminology that the school uses. But the point I'm making is that you as the student need to identify what those highest level courses are and make it a goal to take those courses, to enroll in those courses uh, during all four years of, of high school. And so oftentimes there is a prerequisite that a student needs to meet in order to take one of those more challenging classes. And, and sometimes that might mean earning a, a certain grade in an, another class. Occasionally, it's also receiving a recommendation from a teacher in that subject matter. So that can sometimes impact a student's ability to take certain classes. It's also important for students to consider what their own bandwidth is as far as how many of those courses should a student take? And I'm sure you get asked this question as frequently as I do is, you know, well, how many AP should I have or honors, et cetera? And there really isn't a hard and fast answer to that because you really have to weigh in what else the student is involved in it, because there is that holistic review happening with the application. Yes, grades and course rigor are important, but there are other components to an application. So the last thing I would want for a student to do would be to register to take, let's say, four AP classes as a junior. And as the year progresses, it just becomes clearer that the student's grade is being impacted maybe in, in one of those classes because they are stretched so thin being in four APs along with all their extracurricular commitments. So it really is a matter of trying to strike a balance 
And that's certainly something that we at Ivy Wise try to help students determine in our work with our students and certainly students' school-based counselors um, can also help students determine what their bandwidth is, is the course selection that they're aiming for sustainable over, over the course of that, that academic year? Because it still is important for a student to be involved in those non-academic pursuits while their curriculum, though, is still reflecting and demonstrating rigor as well as success. So a really important part of course selection then, Robin, seems to be how challenging are your courses and how challenging are they in relation to what is even available to you at your high school, right? And you really broke that down. And for example, you know, we we can't expect a student to be in the IB curriculum if their school doesn't offer the IB curriculum, right? And and same for any other uh, curricula across around the world. But there is still a, a bit of a measure for how students are challenging themselves. And we call that rigor. But but Robin, how, how do you explain rigor to students when you're talking about how it relates to course selection and to the holistic review process? Yeah, sure. As far as rigor goes, uh, I try to just boil it down to it, it's rigor is how difficult the student's curriculum is. And in looking at a high school's course catalog or curriculum guide, it clearly lays out what courses are available in all of the academic departments. So you can see, just as an example, there might be a college prep level class, and then there might be an honors level class in the same subject, but then there also might be an AP class in that same subject. So, I mean, and that's very simplified in that scenario, the AP course would be the most rigorous course that the student should aim to take in that particular subject, Um, because the, the rigor is really, in addition to the grades being earned, what the colleges are, are looking for when they review a student's application. Families will ask, well, how does the college even know what courses are offered at, at my student's high school, right? So high schools pr- provide or create um, every academic year what's called their high school profile. And if, if you as a family, um, a student are not familiar with your high school's profile, I highly recommend that you either look for it on your high school's website or just ask your school counselor uh, for, for a copy of the profile. It is a key document for an admissions officer when they're reviewing an application because it contains all of the necessary information that explains the school's curriculum, that explains the school's grading system. So when an admissions officer starts reading an application from a student who attends a high school that maybe does not offer advanced placement classes, but instead offers advanced topics, the school's profile will clearly state, or should state at least, that advanced topics are the highest level course a student may take at our school. So that way, the admissions counselor, admissions officer has that context when they're reviewing the application. So they don't go into the student's application looking at the transcript and and say, well, I don't see any APs. Where are they? That's not how it happens at all. If anything, the admissions counselor has the transcript in front of them along with the school's profile to compare and say, okay, what are all of the advanced or most rigorous classes available? has this student opted to take them? So if a student's going to a high school that has a lot of variety in terms of 
rigor available course-wise, but that student has not opted to take those more rigorous courses, well, that's going to make the admissions officer probably pause and wonder why and wonder if maybe there's an explanation somewhere else in the application that will address that. Because with that high school profile in front of them, they see that, wow, there's a lot of options for this student to take some challenging classes, but for some reason that student chose not to do so. So I think it's just important that everyone's aware of the fact that admissions counselors do in fact know what is available for a student to take at their high school because of that high school profile document. That's a really, really great point, Robin. I'm so glad you brought that up. I've gotten that question too. How do people even know what's available at my high school? I did work specifically with international students, both at USC and MBU, Boston University. And this was a question that was very common internationally, especially perhaps at schools that were not um, following an American or an international baccalaureate curriculum. So I will just add that sometimes the traditional school profile model is not always uh, the case for some international schools, um, especially if you're following a national curriculum wherever you are. Uh, But there is a way to get additional information. I believe the Common Application has a school report form that counselors or teachers can fill out and um, just give additional information about the kind of curriculum that's offered. And if it is the national curriculum, admissions counselors who work in international admissions specifically have guides and tools that they're able to use uh, to understand you know, what that curriculum entails, especially when it comes to things like math, you know, does this year 12 math include calculus? Does it not? It, was there an option for the student to take a higher level? Because again, that idea of choice and ability to challenge yourself further, you know, it, it sometimes it's the case. Sometimes you can make those decisions, but sometimes you can't, right? Some curricula are a little bit more rigid. So, you know, that's why having as much information as possible from your school, whether it's a traditional school profile that they send to everyone or kind of a, a one-page worksheet that someone at the school fills out to give the American college or university more information about the curriculum options at your school. So then we can then understand how your rigor matches up to those curriculum options. Yeah, that's a great additional point. And I think I would even add to that as well, because as, because there is just so much nuance involved with grading scales and the way different high schools all over the world assess a student's academic ability I I sometimes will tell students if they have a particular concern as far as making sure an admissions officer understands um, something about their high school or a course or courses, there is a section in the common application for additional information. And if that student wants to provide some type of clarification related to courses, grades, et cetera, that's another place to do it. But ideally, as you were just saying, the, the school counselor form will capture any information if a profile um, is is perhaps not available or if a profile maybe doesn't provide the full picture. But sometimes I know students want to make sure that that they're being fully understood as far as within the context of, of their academic environment. And so occasionally that might be a place that additional information section for a student to maybe, you know, add a couple sentences for additional clarification. Yes, absolutely. That's great using, you know, all of the resources available to you to um, 
kind of give more context within reason. Of course, we don't need uh, five additional essays about no. <laughs> a particular <laughs> class. <laughs> um, no, no. So just kind of a few final or one final question before we move on to talk about some kind of specific examples or case studies. So for example, I've had students ask me, about difficulties throughout different years of high school. You know, they'll say, I wasn't such a great student to start out, and then I got better or the opposite, but just kind of general concerns that their transcript might not be consistent. So the question is, how how should grades vary or how permissible is it for grades to vary, if at all, within a student's high school transcript? Yeah, that is a question that comes up a lot, certainly from from students. And I think it depends on what type of variance we're talking about as it relates to the grades. I mean, I, ideally, a student is consistent throughout high school um, and that there's not any extreme lows, essentially. So the goal would be for, for consistency. It's not uncommon, though, for an admissions officer to see some type of variance in a student's grades over the course of their high school career. Because let's face it, uh, students have a variety of talents. Some are stronger in other academic subjects than others. So there might be variance in, in that regard. It's not uncommon for an admissions officer to see a ninth grade year, maybe starting off, let's say as an example, just a little bit lower than where the student is by the time they're applying to college. That ninth grade year is a, is a transitional year. In fact, that's why some colleges don't even consider ninth grade <laughs> uh, grades when they evaluate an application. So, I mean, in general, as far as variance goes, I think it's, it, again, it's really a matter of what type of variance are we talking about? Did a student start off in ninth grade with Bs and then 10th grade, everything picked up and they, you know, A's on, on out, or did they start off strong and things, you know, start declining? And I know I'm kind of maybe leading us into some of the case studies that, that we were going to discuss the reality though. I do think, you know, I think it's really important to be transparent, you know, as far as if we're talking about highly selective college admissions, there really cannot be variance and there needs to be consistency, which also needs to be consistency in terms of a, a range grades. I mean, that that's just the reality that we're, that we're seeing, um, especially in light of these incredibly large applicant pools over the past few years. So for students who are considering, you know, those schools, strongest grades possible is, is what needs to be occurring or captured essentially on, on the student's transcript. Thanks for being transparent there, Robin. I do think it's important to make that distinction uh, around highly selective admissions. And, and to your earlier point about uh, course rigor and the way that admissions officers might pause or, or question if a student has um, not challenged themselves within what's available to them in certain in ways that might be surprising or in ways that might lower their their overall profile within what's available to them at their school i think again it's important to make that distinction of highly selective uh, college admissions of course all colleges are going to be looking at an application within the holistic review framework but of course the general level and and, and the extent to which a college might be willing to overlook or permit 
certain things is going to vary greatly, of course, based on how selective the college is, which has a lot to do with how many applicants they're getting, institutional priorities, and all of these other factors that Robin has already touched on. So with that, let's let's dig in a little bit to some of these case studies and some of these scenarios that we have started to kind of hint at. So Robin, can you like define these terms, upward trend and downward trend, and tell us a little bit about what might be okay and what might be a little bit more of a red flag? Yeah, I'd say, you know, in the case of an upward grade trend, you know, we're referring to grades improving over time, similar to, I think, the scenario I mentioned a few minutes ago um, that maybe first year of high school, transition period, adjusting, or or maybe a student moved to a new high school um, in ninth grade or what have you, and had to get acclimated to the academic environment, the social environment. So maybe the grades weren't what they had hoped for um, or weren't what they were used to getting in, in middle school. But then from sophomore year on forward, up through when the student submits their application to colleges, there's just a steady improvement in those grades. So that's an upward grade trend or trajectory, which overall is a positive thing to see. So conversely, a downward trend is, is what and it is going to be a red flag for, for a university. So a student who starts off strong in high school academically, and then over time, grades start to consistently decline. If anything, I think the person reading the application, the admissions officer is going to wonder if there is an explanation somewhere in the application that speaks to what, what happened academically. Was there's actually something else going on with the student that that caused that to happen. And that might be the student providing additional information. It might also be the school counselor sharing some information to to help the admissions counselor um, better understand that. So those are the two terms that, that you hear admissions officers talk about, upward trend being a positive thing, downward trend being concerning, making the admissions officer pause, wonder what else is going on in in that particular scenario. And I would also just add to that real quick, in terms of upward grade trend, it's not just the grades being earned. It's also going back to rigor, right? It's also, is the student choosing to take rigorous classes? So grades are improving, but the student is also earning those stronger grades compared to ninth grade, just to use my example, the student is earning those stronger grades or higher grades in challenging courses. And then with the downward grade trend, I think there's potentially even two scenarios folded within a downward grade trend too. Was the student taking more rigorous classes? And are those the classes in which the student began to earn lower grades than what they were earning freshman year? Because at most schools, there really isn't an option to take more advanced classes as a first year or as a ninth grader. Uh, Certainly there's exceptions um, across the board. Some schools have advanced placement classes, one or two that are available for ninth graders, but by and large, usually those aren't necessarily offered. So Is the downward grade trend a downward grade trend in more rigorous classes, or is the downward grade trend in classes that are more standard level? Same with the upward trend. Is the upward trend, are those grades in more rigorous classes, or are they in more standard level classes? So there's all these different factors that will come into how the admissions officer is assessing 
what was going on academically, what that student's academic journey has, has been at the high school. And, you know, I think a really common question I know you and I both get is, well, if I take the more rigorous class, but what hap- what, what's going to happen if my grade goes down? You know, because if I know I take the advanced class, I might get a lower grade because that's a challenging subject for me. But if I stick in the standard level, I think I'd probably get an A. And that's that's tough. I mean, that's really a matter of talking it through with your counselor, maybe even, you know, with your family as well. Certainly, that's a conversation that um, as an Ivy Wise counselor, you know, that we have with with students, too, is helping them kind of assess that because the reality, again, with transparency, the reality is they should be taking the rigorous class and earning the strongest grade possible in the more rigorous class. That's that's the ideal. But we understand that that isn't necessarily always going to happen. So. I would say in general, an upward grade trend is positive, but part of that is not just getting the higher grades. It's, are you also taking the more rigorous classes and experiencing academic success in those classes? And then similarly with the downward grade trend, are you, is it just a straight downward trend in standard level classes, or were you at least trying to take more rigorous classes? However, I will add to that just because the student was opting for the more rigorous curriculum And if they start getting lower grades, that just the rigorous curriculum alone isn't going to be enough in most cases, I would say, to supersede the lower grades in terms of how an admissions counselor is assessing that that applicant, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And and I think that it's important to then acknowledge the the in-between. So we talked about an upward trend and a downward trend, but but what about kind of just an average overall trend? So what about students who are consistent, but perhaps their consistency isn't on the highest end of, of academic success? So, you know, we definitely sometimes will speak to students who um, are kind of more solidly B average students. Maybe they're challenging themselves Uh, but they are uh, just consistently not necessarily excelling at the highest level. What what does that case look like within highly selective admissions? Well, I think, you know, going back to the holistic review that we spoke about earlier, as far as admissions officers looking at all aspects of the students, you know, academic personal profile with grades, course rigor, et cetera, being sort of a key thing there for a student who has, you know, what I would call like solid grades, um, et cetera. Are they still like being, are they still demonstrating success within their academic ability? Because I do think it's important for students not to overshoot where their academic ability might be, because if they enroll in a more challenging class and they're not going to experience academic success in that class, that's likely not going to reflect well on their, on their transcript. So it's a, it's a, it's a balance, I I, I think. Right. And it's going to be different for every student. I think there's students who, because of extracurricular commitments and such, um, choose to take a different level of rigor perhaps than, than maybe other students at their school. And I think the word average, I mean, everyone defines it differently, right? Like a C is often, you know, for years was an av, you know, considered average, but, I think there's now a C may as well be a D in the eyes of how I, students view them, I think. Um, and so I, I, that's another, I think, point to consider there is I think the, the concept of average 
differs for, for any, any student essentially. Um, I think in general though, for students who are interested in, in applying to again, more, more selective universities, they have to just be aware that they need to be sprinkling in some type of more rigorous classes within their curriculum um, to at least be showing that university that they're up for an academic challenge. They are intellectually curious because the reality is, is that they're going to be in applicant pools with other students who are opting to take as many higher level classes as, as are available at their particular school. And that's not to say that universities are comparing students who go to one high school to another. It's more a matter of if you had these courses available to you and you were eligible to take them, you should be trying to take them, maybe not all of them, but some of them. So for a student who's kind of just earning maybe, you know, standard grades, like solid Bs, but taking one or two higher level classes here, that might not be as strong of an applicant compared to someone else from that student's same high school who has taken more of the higher level classes, whatever the designation might be, and has experienced academic success at that school. So that might be something where the student who has more of the average curriculum, average grades, is there a reason for that, right? Here's where the holistic review comes in. Is this student, does this student have some other involvement, other responsibilities that influence why they chose the courses that they chose? That would absolutely need to be captured somewhere in, in the application so that the admissions counselor doesn't simply look at that student's transcript and say, well, this is pretty standard, but compared to other students from this student's school who have also applied here, this student's academic um, record isn't as competitive as the other applicants potentially. Absolutely. And then one final point here uh, is around when a student doesn't have a choice, right? So sometimes a student might in theory, so on their school profile, it might be listed that they have some courses available to them that might be more challenging. But then when it comes to getting into those courses, either there's limited space, uh, there could be some barriers to entry related to academics or teacher recommendations, or also there just might not be enough students interested in a particular class to create that class or fill the class. And this is particularly true when it comes to APs and IBs at perhaps smaller private high schools. So what, what would you say to a student who is concerned around enrollment issues and scenarios in which they haven't been able to maybe increase their level of rigor because of these enrollment issues? Right. Yeah. That's something that certainly comes up every year. In fact, I had that happen with a few students this year. They had planned on a, taking a certain uh, course and then found out it wasn't being offered because there weren't enough students who indicated that they wanted to enroll in the class. So it, it, it's tricky because the students then have to deal with disappointment because they had it sort of set in their minds and they think they're doing you know, the right thing by opting for that, that more challenging class. So so in that situation, I mean, I think one of the, you know, great things now is that there's, there's other, so many other options out there that will still allow a student to, to take a, 
a course that is going to be, you know, rigorous, maybe in some cases, even more rigorous than what they would have taken in high school. A lot of, um, there's a lot of online options out there for students. And in some cases, the student may even be able to earn high school credit, just depending on what the source is for that online course. Is it accredited? That kind of thing. So that's a way a student can pivot is to try an online course or Maybe there's a course at a local university that, that they might be able to take or even a local community college. So there's you know, some different ways where a student might be able to get creative and still take a class within that subject. So as far as, okay, well, how do they let the admissions counselor know that there's a reason why um, that particular AP advanced placement class isn't on their transcript? This would be where the school counselor, um, the recommendation letter ideally would, would speak to that, provide that clarification. This would also be a scenario where I imagine the student would want to make sure that they too provided a one or two sentence explanation in the additional information section of their uh, common application to provide that clarification. And it would be something as simple as saying, I intended to take whatever name the class, but the enrollment was too low. So the course wasn't able to run. So instead I chose to enroll in and then describe the other, the class that the student um, chose to take. Now, another scenario would be, let's say that a student maxes out uh, the, the highest level uh, courses available in a particular subject. I'm thinking of a student um, I worked with who, was very strong in math and his high school did not offer um, anything beyond calculus AB. And he was a student who wanted to study economics in college. And so I said, well, ideally you would go into BC calculus. Um, That's not available. So he found an accredited online option and took AP calculus BC over the summer in between his junior and senior year. So, and that, and then he obviously was able to report that to colleges, et cetera. So, so there's a variety of different things that students can do um, in terms of continuing to challenge themselves, continuing to explore their academic intellectual interests, even if the courses maybe aren't specifically offered um, at their high school. Yeah, there's always a way, uh, especially if it's a subject that you're really passionate about and that's maybe closely tied to uh, the major that you're considering uh, at college. All right, Robin, thank you so, so much for breaking everything down for us and being so detailed and thoughtful uh, about everything really, but especially those case studies. Yeah, no problem. It was really great to, to chat about this. All right. So this just about wraps up the episode. In our next episode, we'll be highlighting another university with the episode, What's Yale University Like? Please don't forget to catch up on all of our previous episodes and check out the Ivy Wise Knowledge Base for more college prep resources. You can also follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram for more college admissions tips. We're at follow Ivy Wise. From Ivy Wise, I'm Tasha, and this has been Just Admit It. Thanks for listening.